Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome. I am back from vacation. Got some big news to share here. First of all, I don't need to get into it too much since it's personal, but I will not be referring to my girlfriend any longer on all these live reads, I'll be referring to her as my fiance. We took a raft trip down the Grand Canyon and on the last day got engaged. So uh, big news. I look forward to all the tweets telling me when I call her my girlfriend instead of fiance now in the live reads. But I did not do that today, thankfully, because we pre-recorded <laughs> the ads. So I know for sure already I didn't do it this time. But we've got a lot to get to here. And uh, let's bring in Danny to get to some news. Then we're going to go to Frank Madden to do a Bucks preview. We're sponsored by our old friends at SeatGeek. Use the cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And by Quip Toothbrush, which I used on this Grand Canyon raft trip, which I highly recommend. Getquip.com slash Capspace is your way to get started with them and let them know that you came from us. Danny, it's been far too long. It has. First of all, congratulations. Of course, I feel like that's where Thank we you. have to where we have to start. Uh, I think you no, know. We, no, no, no. We have to start with this KD Twitter thing, don't we? I mean, that's more important. Oh, than, sweet so. Christ! Um, <laughs> but I, I was trying to figure out a way to transition from that into lottery reform, and I, I'm just not smart enough to be able to do that. We've gotten better at transitions, but I can't pull it off. <laughs> uh well all right so why don't you take us there danny like what's gonna happen here well so it's still basically what happened is the competition committee made a recommendation on that but then it has to go to the full board of governors and so they they supported a proposal to basically to lower the odds from the worst records of getting the number one pick and then they also supported a proposal to reduce the resting of like basically the te- the resting of healthy players on nationally televised games and what i kept thinking about with this was a big chapter in my my warriors book is about that 1993 draft which was the one when Orlando, who already had Shaquille O'Neal, used the flattened lottery odds. They they were they were had the, actually had the worst lottery odds, but jumped all the way up and got got the number one pick, which they then traded down and got Penny Hardaway to pair with Shaquille O'Neal. So it, it ties in with this whole idea that there are competing goals with this, and the NBA has never been completely clear on exactly what they want. So it kind of feels like they go from pole to pole based on the negative outcome that happened most recently. Yeah, and that's what happens overall in the collective bargaining agreement. I always felt like things are pretty good as they are. The tanking thing, people need stuff to talk about. It's not really that big of a deal when you compare some of the real evils of the league. Like, is it really costing the league that much money here if teams are tanking? And especially, I actually think taking down the end of the season, like with Eric Bledsoe, what the Suns did last year, that was probably pretty shameful, I thought. Some of what the Lakers did down the end of their season to really just 
rest healthy players. Like I, I think that's going a little bit too far. But just in general, in terms of the incentives, there's a reason that the draft exists, and that's to help bad teams get better and to provide some hope in markets that otherwise would not have any. And I think that certain franchises just having no hope is a far greater evil and that under this proposal perhaps it is slightly more likely now that you will see teams that are mired in the muck and have more difficulty being good because you're just not getting the high enough draft pick for a long time you know where you'll see a team like the kings or orlando and minnesota certainly had no shortage of, of high draft picks so maybe they're not quite in that category orlando had number two but it was a bad draft so I think really, though, it's not that big of a deal. It's just something that this is the thing that people love to talk about, right? Whereas, oh, hey, Sacramento hasn't been in the playoffs since 2006. And a lot of that's due to some really bad management, which uh, we have a t-shirt commemorating now here <laughs> on Dunked On. But it's just not really, that's not a sexy story because you want to just blame the team. Uh, but the fans, it's not their fault that they are the fans of a shitty team. And while sports is to some degree supposed to be a meritocracy you'd much rather it be like it is here where any of the 30 teams if you're well managed in theory it can end up winning a championship or competing for a championship whereas in europe it's just you know you have four teams in each league who have a chance to win it every year along those lines i i think that the league has done some very deliberate steps to make high draft picks even more valuable in recent years and so you might say oh that means that you should have a greater disincentive to tanking but at the same point you're resigning those teams if they're not bad on purpose they're just bad to going in that direction and think about the idea of what you're trying to do a lot of times if you're a young team, you don't want to give minutes to veteran guys just for, for no purpose. You know, there, there are kind of good ways of tanking and bad ways of tanking, you know, embracing kind of falling down. I think like I think back to what Kiki Vandaway did with the Denver Nuggets. You know, I think that worked really well. And you can say, oh, well, reducing the incentives, you're still going to see it happen somewhat. And of course you will. But I think that the the negative ramifications here are fascinating. However, I am somebody who likes the idea of a team that's a little bit closer getting a big piece. And I think that the worst teams might be a little bit overly rewarded. I actually, so I think this is getting closer to something that I support, but it's completely defeating what the NBA wants to do is just because I prioritize it differently than they do. Yeah, I suppose that's true, right? You wouldn't mind seeing a team that already has some young talent getting another great player because to me I care most about the NBA during the playoffs and I want to see great competition in the playoffs and I like having a lot of the best players on good teams so this isn't the end of the world to me either it's just that I think if you're really it doesn't really do much to solve the problem and maybe slightly exacerbates the great te or uh bad teams just staying stuck in the muck for a long time oh I wait, can i make it's, one note yeah. quick yeah this is the this is another time in recent history where the league is responding to a certain team or a, a move that happened and making it so that it's actually harder for for other teams so it's easier for them so the example here is you know the lebron situation helped lead to the messed up extension system which ended up actually helping the warriors and then by the virtue of them trying to change that with the designated veterans it didn't affect the warriors at all because durant was already at 10 years and you know they, they get everything else so it, it this yeah, is and they probably got to keep aimed Steph at the, curry immediately right 
And this is aimed at the Sixers. And yes, the Sixers do still have some outstanding picks, including the complicated web that is the the obligation that they still have to Boston after the Markel Fultz trade. But generally speaking, this could actually benefit them, depending if it takes them a little while to get up there. And it'll hurt teams that wanted to go in that direction. And, you know, that is the nature of being, you know, you're always going to be behind the adaptation. It's the nature of the business. But it's a challenge, you know, that, you, that you're always going to see other teams get hurt by this rather than the team that it was technically targeted at. Yeah, and I think I like better than this, this idea that maybe you could be ineligible for getting a top three pick two years in a row. Or the what I had proposed for a long time, the only change I thought really was necessary was if you win less than 15 games, you're ineligible for the number one pick just so that this season long tanking you have to at least put a real some modicum of an NBA team out there on the floor. Uh, anything else you want to say on this or can we move on here to uh, a live read? Well, let's talk very briefly about the idea of trying to rest healthy guys on national TV games. It is I, I get that they want to part of what it is, is they're also encouraging teams to sit guys in home games rather than road games. Which is a really kind of strange element of this because it takes such a narrow approach to who attends a fan a, a team's game. So yes, season ticket holders get an opportunity to see their players there, but a large portion of the fans at each game are not season ticket holders. And so just emphasizing it in that way, I get what the NBA is trying to do, but it's taking a different approach to it. And I also have a moral opposition to giving any sort of preference to national TV games over otherwise, because that, you know, since there is not an evenness or an equality to national TV games, that creates competitive advantages and disadvantages that might actually matter. Yeah, this is in some ways, if you are in, say, Memphis, where there's a big to-do about the Cavs guys sitting out last year, uh, there's a report that came out, which we're going to discuss later on, that they have extremely low revenue. And so this is kind of more socialism too, right? It's like, hey, we're going to prop up the gate with our stars at these teams because you get the stars 41 games a year at home anyway. So you sacrifice and then these teams that only get the gate once, we're going to prop them up a little bit. And maybe that's fair because the nature of the NBA is that there really are only five guys and a lot of it's luck as to whether you have those five guys who are really going to drive the gate, for example, on a given night. So I'm not sure I'm against that, but that is kind of what's happening here. Uh, all right, let's uh, get to a quick commercial from Quip Toothbrushes, and then we'll be right back with more on this news catch-up. So as I mentioned in the open, I just got back from this great rafting trip in the Grand Canyon, and I had my Quip Toothbrush with me. Well, you can't bring an electric toothbrush in the Grand Canyon. There's nowhere to plug it in. It's huge. We have a weight limit. We can't bring that much stuff with us. Oh, wait, it's not like a traditional electric toothbrush. It's the size, basically, of a normal toothbrush. It runs on one AAA battery that you only have to replace once every three months, which they send to you, by the way, on their subscription plan, and it starts at just $25. It's an electric toothbrush that packs premium vibration and timer features into an ultra slim design that's half the cost of bulkier brushes and i promised you that i would mention my fiance not girlfriend anymore i'm gonna screw that up at some point i'm sure but 
she really likes hers she used hers on the trip as well i actually they sent me one for free that i got and then i actually bought her another one because i liked the product so much and thought it would be great for her she really likes it because over the two minutes it takes to brush they've got these pauses that tell you you should move on to another quadrant of your mouth it's just a beautiful product you have to see it and brush with it yourself and you can even subscribe as i mentioned you can get new brush heads on a three-month plan for just five dollars including free shipping and they'll send you that one triple a battery as well if you don't happen to have one of those I'm not the only one who loves Quip. Time Magazine named it one of their best inventions of 2016. They won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award, and they made it on Oprah's 2017 New Year's O-List. So the way to get started with Quip toothbrushers, go to getquip.com. Getquip.com slash capspace. Get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash capspace. Getquip.com slash capspace. Okay, so let's get to this article co-scribed by brian windhorse and zach lowe discussing the finances of the nba there's an imminent meeting now coming up about having more revenue sharing and really what this showed is just that the local tv revenue in particular shows a massive disparity between certain markets with the lakers and the profits as well but the lakers getting 150 million a year for their local tv memphis only getting nine million dollars per year for their local broadcast rights surprisingly enough uh the two teams that are at the bottom new orleans and memphis uh aren't making any money from their local broadcast rights oh and hey uh those teams uh, are in the two smallest markets and uh, Memphis, in fact, moved from what could have been a much bigger market to Memphis because of what I think was a short-sighted reliance on arena money rather than TV. I think that the teams that did that really kind of blew it. The NBA has an infuriating approach to all of this, broadly speaking, which is that they are, they seem to be sympathetic, though, you know, to owners that aren't making money, which first of all, I, I always think of it as like, I wanted to get, like, I thought it would be cool to get wealthy as a kid so I could buy a sports team. I didn't think that it was a guarantee for profit. And there was actually some discussion about that in the piece. But second of all, the league has this, oh, poor me kind of thing about all these teams that are losing money when they have taken, facilitated deliberate steps in the past to keep teams out of viable markets and to move them from viable markets to less viable markets. So you don't get to cry poor yeah, as a way to extort arena. Money, right. right? Like that's, you don't get that's to cry poor when you and, move a team from Vancouver to Memphis and from Seattle to Oklahoma City when I mean, yeah, the Oklahoma City made money this year and congratulations on that. But th that's not the way this works. And also there was the resistance to move a team from New Orleans, which is, as you said, one of the bottom two markets. And so the league needs to figure out what they want to be. And if the owners think that they that they're entitled to get a profit every year then maybe they should think about having their teams in other cities. If they don't want to prioritize a profit, they can totally do that. I'm a supporter in that. I think Memphis has been a wonderful market for basketball. Their fans, I haven't been to a game there, but I've heard wonderful things. I was, And so that they just need to figure out what they are. And crying poor over one side of it and then making themselves poor on the other side, it just rings hollow to me. Well, and then, of course, there's the definition of poor, which in this case is complete bullshit. And by the way, I I got a lot of responses. Thank you to everyone who responded about the swearing. It was about 75% of people want us to kind of keep it the way it is. So 
but we'll try to only do it when emphasis is required and emphasis is required here because these owners crying poor is again complete bullshit now it might be that it's a struggle for them on a yearly basis just from like to come up with the cash and that they don't want to have to like raise some more cash and they every owner would love to just have be able to just pay your bills out of your operating income but when you consider the tax benefits of being able to depreciate your players and how much the franchises appreciate and the net worth of nearly all of these owners to where hey you know if you're going to lose a few million bucks a year and also by the way it's worth noting that for many of these there's like oh 14 of the teams lost money no that's not true that's how many teams lost money before revenue sharing right and revenue sharing is happening and it's probably only going to increase you would imagine so uh, you know i do think there should be revenue sharing I think that those teams do need the ability to compete. And also it's worth noting that a lot of those teams made some extremely short-sighted financial decisions in the summer of 2016, which many of which we criticized heavily at the time. This is not necessarily hindsight. And now, hey, guess what? Your payroll is really high for players who aren't making a difference for you in terms of actually winning games and making you more money. And when you spend a bunch of money on players who don't help you win, hey, you know what? That it's going to hurt your bottom line and that's what many many teams did uh, especially some of these lower uh revenue teams also the challenge of years not dollars is really present on a lot of these like memphis sure. where they spent all that money in 2016 particularly on chandler parsons but also on mike conley which is a significant long-term contract and it wasn't like it was a short-term thing to to get them competitive for one year no they committed four and five years to these players and so they're looking at it and going, oh, wow, we shouldn't have done that the way we did. And Memphis, you know, they have a lot of reasonable contracts on the books. Think about what they did with James Ennis. But those big mistakes can become a big problem and they linger. And you can also think about the short-sighted stuff with New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans basically was in a win-now mode from the second Anthony Davis was actually a good player. And if they had been a little bit more patient, they would be getting playoff revenue rev- regularly now as opposed to dumping, I think it was three consecutive first round picks and not really doing anything with the players that they got okay let's move on beyond that once we find out if and how revenue sharing has changed we can come back to that oh i was hoping you were going to do a speaking of short-sighted let's talk about the denver nuggets and mason plumley yeah i guess that's where we have to go next isn't it mark bartlestein by the way it was it was pointed out in something i was reading today i'm sorry i don't recall exactly where but that guy really has been a master like he also was miles Plumley's agent got him paid and the numbers on that three years 41 million reporting is that that is all guaranteed i posited on our Capdork gchat thread that some of that had to be non-guaranteed at the end au contraire it is all guaranteed and this is really an example of the dangers of sunk costs here right they didn't know that they were going to get paul Millsap. there was a belief that plumley and nicole Jokic could play together a short-sighted and misguided one in my opinion but that was the belief nonetheless but then they got paul Millsap. they're paying him 30 million dollars a year and they had plumley over a barrel i don't think there's any way that plumley even if he were an unrestricted free agent in this market would have gotten three years 41 million i guess they felt like he was an asset that they couldn't let get away but to me having him take his qualifying offer would have been the absolute perfect 
result here and maybe even they could have come to an agreement on a deal thrown him a bone a little bit to maintain goodwill and say hey you know what rather than the qualifying offer why don't we just agree uh, on a one-year deal for 10 million instead of uh you know whatever his qualifying offer would have been which is significantly less than that and then they still would have had bird rights on him if they really wanted to bring him back but to me getting that production from him for cheap for this year with little opportunity cost that would have been great and then you know what if you really need them at that point re-sign them they have a billion power fours on this team and so you want to play Jokic at least 30 minutes a game so now you're limiting Plumlee to 18 minutes at best if they think that oh we can't let this asset get away because we can trade him on this contract I really don't see that either we've seen how incredibly tight the market is for centers that's why nobody paid this dude to begin with It also is compounded by the structure of Denver's books because they are they are guaranteed, you know, Millsap and Fareed and maybe they move Mills, not not Millsap. They move Fareed or somebody else next year. We've talked about how Wilson Chandler and Darrell Arthur might pick up their options with a more tepid market than they went into. And then Gary Harris and Nicole Jokic, by current expectations, are both going to get huge raises next year. So you talked about when the signing happened that they might have to make a tax dump move next year. And also, you could think about it on the crazy scenario that if they had a good season and they were able to move some money, they actually could have had a little bit of cap space if they were like, let's say they ended up getting like the five seed this year, and then they could woo somebody for even maybe a little bit more than the mid-level. They could have done that. And so they put themselves in this bad position, and the upside is exceedingly low. Like, really, the only way Mason Plumlee is worth this contract is if Nikola Jokic gets hurt. That's not the rationale for making a contract like this. And they have so many other guys that not necessarily play that position, but that you can use to kind of fill those gaps when need be. And this ties in with Denver becoming, I've talked about this before with a couple teams, where a vast majority of their moves are either really good or really bad. And so I've said Sacramento's in this group before, Detroit is in this group and so this year, they acquired a mass of power forwards on specious deals. I mean, I hated the Leiden draft pick, and I don't like Lyles as much as you do. And then they signed Paul Millsap to a very good deal, and then they compound that by Plumlee. And so they're just kind of in this awkward situation where if they hit, if they hit more singles, they might. They, I don't think they'd be in a better position, but at least they could make more from it. Yeah, this is definitely a team that, as well as they've drafted, could be in a much better position with just a a few different moves. And now, if you look at, we're going to assume that they almost have to allow Nikola Jokic to become a restricted free agent next year, rather than picking up his team option, which would be basically the minimum for next year. But then he becomes unrestricted at the end of that, and you really, you can't risk letting him get away uh, so they're gonna have to give him him a new contract next year almost certainly uh, and now that this plumley contract has come in we're gonna assume that Darrell arthur is gonna pick up his 7.4 million dollar option i think it'd be insane for him to do that uh not pick that up but and then you mentioned the danger of chandler opting in potentially which he'll do if he doesn't have a good season and so they really basically have now with no chandler but arthur about 40 million to work with to re-sign harris and Jokic. and if they're lucky they'll be able to re-sign those guys for that much and not go into the tax so i think it is a near certainty that some sort of tax avoidance move is going to happen and maybe what will happen is 
they dump Fareed and they have to attach someone who's not playing for them, like Malik Beasley. Maybe he'll he can be the bait, or Lyles again if he has any value remaining still, or maybe even Emmanuel Mudiay or Will Barton could be someone like that as well. They have guys that they can get rid of who aren't who are good players who aren't necessarily essential to what they're doing. But it'd be nice if they could have traded it, those guys to get someone who will help them as opposed to just getting off of money. Will Barton also becomes a larger figure in this because now that we're talking about them potentially having to duck the tax, he'll be an unrestricted free agent with a low cap hold. They don't really benefit from that yeah. because if they're if they're not going to pay him. And he so wants out of along, there anyway. Yeah, along those lines, then they should trade him. They probably should have traded him before now if that was kind of the direction they were going. But he's useful to them. They still don't have a backup small forward because instead they have an army of power forwards. And we'll see if they try Wancho there. They can do some other things. But again, it's I, I, there are a lot of things that I like about Denver's front office, but this is on the more disappointing end of that. In less miserable new contract news, Josh Richardson, the first to benefit from the new extension rules. You'll recall that previously extensions could only start for 107.5% of the previous salary with Richardson making the minimum. That would have been useless to him. Now, however, he can start at 120% of this year's average player salary on his new contract. That leads to a four-year, $42 million deal. He has a player option on his final year. That's basically, I think we'll see exactly where it ends up, but probably the most that they could have given him. Seems like a fair deal to me. Richardson struggled with that MCL injury last year, played better as a rookie, but I think he's someone who can defend both guard positions, maybe even the three if it's not too strong of a guy as well. Shoots the ball, has showed some ability to attack the basket in summer league settings. We'll see if that ever burgeons for him at the NBA level. But this, for a guy who has the ability to be a potential 3 and D guy, a potential starter, I think this is a reasonable amount of money for him and it allows him to get some security here with one year left on his contract at the minimum. That security also really matters because next year's restricted market could be really scary for for guys just because there aren't that many teams who have space. And Richardson has a skill set that could be valued. But if he has a disappointing year, it will have been a little while since he impressed so much back in 2016-17. And I thought he looked very good that year. Or sorry, that was 15-16. Yeah, it was 15-16. And so... It, that you know there is an issue with guys like him and I think he's way more accomplished than Patrick McCaw but a series of these players so it's a nice risk mitigation from him and for Miami remember that this contract bumps up the same year that Tyler Johnson's contract goes from about 5.9 million to 19.2 million so they're going to be right on the fringes of the luxury tax even before a potential pay raise for Okara White who now could be a an offer sheet darling for some team. I don't think he's the greatest player in the world, but I can see Miami not wanting to pay him. And so if a team feels that he's a rotation player, by all means, and so could be open season on that type of guy in Miami now, well, you can justify the, you know, the idea that they have these talented players that they want to keep. They have a really big web of commitments now. And a lot of players that they owe between about 9 million and about 15 million which generally speaking is a, is a type of player that unless it was under the 2016 or the, sorry, the previous pre-2016 contract levels, 
generally those aren't the greatest contracts in the world. And they have yeah. James Johnson, Dion Waiters, Kelly Olynyk, Tyler Johnson's actually a little bit above that now, and Josh Richardson on those types of contracts. Now, Miami and Spo have gotten more out of those guys, but it is that payroll structure that looks a little bit perilous moving into the future, especially if the some stuff doesn't work out or if Whiteside or Dragic opts out of their contract after a couple of years and leaves. Yeah. Uh, although I, I think this is still, uh, would you have done this deal or not if you were Miami or, or would you have waited until restricted free agency? I would have waited because his, you know, the, the situation with a guy who's not on a rookie scale contract, you know, he doesn't have the leverage of, Oh, I'm going to take my qualifying offer, which pays me zero money, you know, like that, that sort of a thing. But well, he, I, he could meet the starter criteria this year, which would yeah, help him a little bit. That's true. Not he could. And, and so I would have basically knowing what I know right now, I wouldn't have done it. But they have more information than we do about kind of where he is physically and also whether they're intending on playing him more at the three. Because if if they think that he's going to be a 25 plus minute game for the guy for them this year, then there is this risk mitigation because restricted free agents who have a market who teams see as starters, those guys do still get paid. Look at Tim Hardaway. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the downside risk for Miami, and I like Josh Richardson, so that's why I'm kind of torn in this. I think the downside risk for Miami is a little bit greater than the upside risk. The upside is, hey, he breaks out this year, he looks like he's a starter, and now you have a guy because I don't see really a way, even if he reaches his full potential this year, plays a ton, that he's more than like a fifteen million dollar a year player. But maybe you know you get this guy on a five million a year cheaper. But maybe again, you know that rookie year was a little bit of a mirage. He doesn't shoot it nearly as well. He doesn't show any development offensively. I think he'll always be pretty good defensively, or he could just get hurt or or not develop. So I think there's a chance that this could be an albatross. That maybe he's just not that good. Maybe that rookie year was a mirage because he did not perform nearly as well last season although he's always going to play hard and he's always going to play good d so the downside is limited there too the player option is a little bit troubling too maybe if they could have gotten it without that i'd feel a little higher on this deal but i I don't think this is really like a good or bad deal either way and certainly this is in the range of what would have been talked about before this summer and before the market really tightened you know i think we would have said this is a pretty good deal Uh, so i i think it's Maybe I would have waited, but I it's not like, oh, man, I can't believe they didn't. The wing market is also going to be one of the more shallow areas next year, especially if the main yeah. guys, you know, uh, uh, although, you, although this is a point you've made before that this three and D two guard is a uh, and with him being a restricted free agent, Gary Harris would be ahead of him in line. KCP Avery Bradley is on the market. We could see Wes Matthews, Danny Green. There are a lot of players similar to him. So I, I do think that the chances of him getting a massive offer sheet were not that high. But also the opportunity cost here is not great for me. I mean, they're going to be capped out for ever and ever for eternity anyway. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of thinking about it. And it's not like Miami really at this point, other than maybe O'Carroll White, has that many guys that are about to get raises. So they have a more secure future here than the teams like, let's say, Milwaukee with Jabari or Philly with Joel Embiid, where there is some real wiggle room in terms of what the guys get. All right, let's do a lightning run here. Jarrett Jack to the Knicks, non-guaranteed one-year contract. That's He wasn't able to stick in Atlanta, wasn't really ready. No, nobody wanted him last year. I mean, maybe as a good locker room guy, a stable influence, I think he, he could be useful there. But expecting him to contribute on the floor this year seems unlikely. 
Speaking of glue uh, okay, guys who yeah. used to be on the Warriors, Andrew Bogut signed with the with the Lakers, former coach Luke Walton, and it, what was a surprise to me, it ended up being that only 50000 of his contract is guaranteed, so it is a much smaller commitment than I had expected. Yeah, and we don't know where his health is at after that really sad broken fibula that he yeah. suffered. Less I, When I was looking at, at Cleveland stats earlier, I saw that he played a, precisely one minute for the team. And yeah, I think then it was 48 suffered. seconds. Yeah, suffered that gruesome injury. If healthy, I think he could still contribute for some of these teams. Uh, there's a lot. My concern is that Zubac isn't going to play as much. Uh, that they might play Brook Lopez left or the last, although he's never been a high minute guy necessarily. So I mean, I think Bogut can still contribute, provide some rim protection defensively. His numbers on defense were so good, but always a health risk. And you have to imagine if the, all he could get was 50k guaranteed from anyone. And that from a team that really doesn't have a clear path to playing time the way maybe like a Boston would, uh, that the reports on that broken fibula uh, are not great right now. New Orleans signed Dante Cunningham, which was expected after the move that they made dumping Quincy Pondexter to the Chicago Bulls, gave him a one-year minimum contract, which also gives them the benefit, granted they're going to payroll flexibility is going to be limited next year, to use full bird rights on him in the future. He will have an opportunity to play while Solomon Hill recovers from his hamstring injury. And it's not great depth on the wing in New Orleans, but it's certainly about as good as you could expect considering where the market was, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Insane to me that Cunningham actually got more than Tony Allen, who also signed with the Pelicans, presumably for the minimum. And interesting, too, that Cunningham... I think it was reported that he got about 200k more than what the minimum would have been, but that actually, in terms of the hard cap and the tax, pushes the Pelicans up by much more than that 200,000 because he would only count for the third-year veterans minimum at a little under 1.5 million. Uh, but now he counts for the full amount, the 2.3 million. So they actually are not getting great value for their money there, but apparently. That 200K, you know, I mean, that's, uh, that would be important for you or me. So I, if, if that's uh, what he was able to negotiate, that's great. But I think the Tony Allen signing is a much bigger deal because now they yeah. finally have someone who actually can play the three and guard the three. And I get the idea that he's going to be a big offensive liability. They already have no shooting whatsoever on this team. That's a, He's only going to make that worse. But I mean, frankly, I would just start him at the three and say, hey, you know what? Like AD Cousins, like you guys are great offensive players. Go get us some buckets, draw some double teams. You know, he'll cut along the baseline or something like, especially during the regular season when teams aren't really prepared to not guard him and hey we can actually like stop some guys like they could i feel much much better about their defense now that they've got him assuming he stays healthy and although he missed the playoffs with that calf injury allen was healthy for much of the season last year and uh was quite effective even still plus when they st- if they stagger you know more often stagger cousins and anthony davis then they can use omri caspi as the stretch four and get a little bit of that spacing back DeAndre Bembry out four to six weeks, the Hawks guard with a strained right triceps, not the injury you want to hear about when it's a guy who can't shoot uh, and needs to be working on his shooting. So he was, so this is a big year for him, not the way he wanted to start that. Not really a big year for Zach Randolph, but he did avoid jail time with a, a plea deal. Remains to be seen uh, per Jason Jones of Sacramento B whether the NBA would 
in fact, discipline him or not. Uh, Markeith Morris, I think that's where we have to. So Markeith Morris is going to have yeah. surgery on his sports hernia. Uh, looks like, you know, that's a one to two month thing. And last year, all of the five most common wizard starters played 76 or more games. And that was essential to their successful season. And I'm guessing we're going to see something different from that this year, even if it's just a little bit less. Yeah, Markeith uh, also in I'm not sure is that felony trial for assault in Phoenix is that ongoing? It was reported that he had the surgery this late because he uh, I can't remember his girlfriend or his wife uh, just gave birth, and then also because of this trial, uh, slightly evoking the Shaquille O'Neal company time remark. Uh, back in the early 2000s uh, that he would recover he got hurt on company time so he'd recover on company time but you know sports hernia could be like a one to two month thing and uh, he's expected to miss the start of camp which is we're only a week away from now amazingly and and the trial would, is uh, ongoing opening statements were a couple days ago ah okay yeah so that's uh that he could potentially be subject to discipline there as well that's a felony so if he gets convicted it's not good they're uh it's not like he's going to plea bargain out. And actually two of the people who were involved with him already plea bargain. It'd be interesting to see whether they're kind of taking the hit. It's that kind of plea bargain or whether, you know, they're flipping and it's that kind of plea bargain. But uh, anyway, not great for the Wizards because they don't have a ton behind him at power forward. They do have a lot of continuity. So hopefully like, it's not going to be an issue of him getting to know his teammates, but they're not deep. Uh, they could go with Kelly Oubre at the four go that direction i doubt scott brooks would start that way but maybe you'd have to close games that way and now you're getting to jason smith and mike scott uh, as your starting four options and uh those guys are you know could be replacement level type of dudes this, this year especially smith especially more so at the four than the five to go even more lightningy in the lightning round shabazz muhammad Resigned with the Wolves. Jason Terry resigned with the Bucks. Tyler Zeller went to the Nets. First year guaranteed. Second year non guaranteed. Damian Rudez resigned with Orlando. Did you almost just yawn, by the way? No, I hiccuped. Jaron <laughs> Sullinger signed in China. And oh, Rob Hennigan, another return, returns to Oklahoma City. The only one I really want to comment on there is Muhammad. The Wolves will still have his bird rights. That might be one reason he decided to return there. If he has a nice year, maybe you could get a little bit better of a contract. Bird rights are going to become more and more important in this tighter cap environment now. And they really didn't have a backup three at all. They didn't have any kind of really backup wings with the departure of Brandon Rush, who just signed to a training camp deal in Milwaukee. So I think that getting Muhammad back, I mean, he's not some amazing player. Obviously, the marketplace didn't love him. I actually, if I were one of these teams that needed some scoring, I might have taken a little bit more of a chance on him, perhaps. Uh, but nonetheless, he's returned to Minnesota and hopefully will uh, be able to, I think he'll still play a little bit because I just don't have anyone else who's could play the, the backup three. Yeah. And while we're on Minnesota, I'll take a quick second to talk about the, the rumor or the reporting from David Aldridge that the Minnesota was also in on Andrew Bogut because they wanted another center, which is just completely ludicrous. I was coming out as a panelist on a, on, on a, fa a fan graphs pitch talk event and walked out, saw that report and swore like I was you on the podcast. So that was definitely interesting. Yeah. Uh, Justin Patton, also an update on his injury from a couple of weeks ago. Tibbs said he was hopeful that he would be ready for the regular season opener. It doesn't sound like he's going to have a full training camp necessarily with uh, that broken foot. He injured it uh, on a wet spot 
during his first ever workout in Minnesota after being drafted. The Bulls signed Diamond Stone. I think that's a good signing. Stone has some potential. The Hawks just straight up cut him after acquiring him to make the math work in that Jamal Crawford salary dump. But Stone not really in the plans in Atlanta Travis Schlank going for more character guys. Stone has had some issues in that department. But the Bulls, they needed, quote-unquote, a third center. And especially if they move on from Robin Lopez this year, Stone has some potential. They're going to need some scoring on this team. Maybe he can provide that a little bit. Uh, And then the Sixers, Brett Braun saying today that they don't expect to see any restrictions with Ben Simmons. He's been playing five-on-five. So that's great news there. Are we done here, or do we have to talk about this KD Twitter thing? I don't think we do. Well, let's mention Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw signed with Levalois of the Metropolitans there. It does include an NBA out. I was expecting him to sign with the Spurs. Disappointed that didn't happen. And then we need to talk about the Bucks. or sorry, the Hornets guys. Malik Monk, still, still impacted by his ankle injury, and Michael Carter-Williams had PRP on both of his Patel attendants. That's bad because, you know, they're not exactly overflowing with depth at the point guard position. He They've signed now Julian Stone from Europe, who's had some cups of coffee, I think, with the Raptors earlier in his career, but never someone who's particularly I think he might have even been played with the Nuggets as well. Uh, never someone who's particularly impressed and relying on him as their backup point guard doesn't look too great. And then you'd think maybe what they could have hoped to do was have Batum handle the ball in the second unit and have Monk guard point guards but it sounds like he it was reported by rick bonnell that he couldn't finish a non-demanding optional workout this is a, about a week ago uh a few other things here rudy gay cleared to start the preseason that's good news for him and the spurs reggie jackson as of i think a week ago was reported by vincent ellis that he is not cleared but then jackson had some quotes saying he feels like he's getting his explosion back and that he's pain-free, but he did take it easy in rehab this offseason. His quote was, no red flags. Do you want to talk at all about the Chris Haynes piece on Andre Guadalla's free agency? No, not really. Well, I mean, the, the only thing I want to mention, because a, a series of people asked us to respond to this, was the, there was a part of the piece when during the meeting, Daryl Morey started working on sign-and-trade possibilities, and... While technically possible, I sincerely doubt that that would have happened for a couple reasons, one of which being that it would have required the Warriors' active participation, and he would have yeah, been going why would to a rival. And yeah. remember that the Chris Paul trade had already been consummated. It's not just that it happened. It had already been consummated, so they couldn't involve it in a more complicated deal, and the Rockets didn't really have the right things to send back. So I have no doubt that Maury is capable of trying to work out the scenarios and that he did do it. I, I'm not questioning the reporting at all. I just don't think that it was feasible for it to ever happen. And sure, he could have still signed there. Absolutely. Iguodala could have gone to the Rockets, and but it sounds like from the reporting that he was very interested in that but the sign and trade part of it which was kind of tantalizing to get the money close i don't think that was realistic i agree wholeheartedly and iguodala while i have no doubts that this is all what chris haynes was told nearly all of this in theory is from iguodala's camp or iguodala himself and 
Iguodala has a big vested interest both for his Silicon Valley ambitions, for the fact that he's active in the players union, his own just self-esteem for being perceived as like this master negotiator. And Steve Kerr, of course, you know, the one quote that he gave Haynes was, hey, you know, I like he, he should be an agent or something like that, which is it's almost even like slightly patronized. But Kerr knows emotionally that Iguodala needs to be perceived that way. That's why this article, I think, was written to begin with. And while he did get his money, the idea that he really could have left, that he, oh, he was about to leave. They barely convinced him he had to go back to Joe Lacob. I don't think so. Like he was going to go to Houston for four years, 32 million, instead of going back to the Warriors for three for 45. No way. I, I am very skeptical about that. He would love to make it sound that way. He'd love to make it sound like he really manipulated the market so well, uh, but I, I'm not buying it. The one thing that another thing that I would encourage people to read the piece for is just a better sense of how these pitch meetings go. I thought that the way that they characterized the Kings meeting and the Rockets meeting and all that, you know, obviously it's different for different levels of players, but I thought that was interesting. And as Tom Haberstow noted on Twitter, I do wonder what happens to all that stuff. But that's a a point of discussion for a different day. And if anybody knows that they should write about it. Matt Moore, again, this is a a little bit ago before my trip, but he reported in the wake of Marcus Sol making some comments with the Spanish language newspaper of that if things don't improve in Memphis that he might consider, you know, adjusting his situation that uh, both Conley and Gasol are considered untouchable at this point in time in memphis uh jabari parker with represented by the aforementioned mark bartlestein who uh has a great report to have gotten miles Plumley uh four years 52 million from the bucks uh, a little over a year ago is reported to want a max extension the bucks have absolutely no reason to give him that right now he's got to take a significant discount uh, for them to even begin thinking about that because if it's going to be the max you might as well just wait and pay him that if he looks much better coming back from that ACL injury. But Jabari does have somewhat of a point because, I mean, he was a pretty efficient scoring guy, scorer at age 22 last year. But, you know, obviously the ACL injuries complicate that to some degree. He, of course, I'm sure has the utmost confidence that he will come back and, and be as good as ever. Um, oh, let's do uh, the Warriors uh, jersey ads. Oh, yeah. So they agreed to a deal with Rakuten, which is a Japanese company, for a three-year contract for Jersey Ad, which will pay them $20 million per year. It was also reported that this was not their highest value offer. I don't know if that is per year or total. That could be nebulous here. Yeah, I mean, that, but that that's they... specifically, specifically what their CEO said, but... You know, I'm sure he'd love to to perpetuate that idea. Sure, and but they they wanted Rack Ten because they thought they were the perfect partner for them, and and the Warriors are certainly a global thinking organization. So I can imagine that that they also that makes Rack Ten feel great, and I believe the practice facility is named f- for them as well. So we'll learn yes, more about the that. Rack Ten Performance Center, I, I believe. There we go. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a notable thing just because that is now the new high watermark for any of these. And I was wondering where it was going to end up. My instinct was it was going to be in the 17 to $18 million range. And so now other teams can point to this. Maybe they're not going to get all the way up to 20, but the Lakers and, you know, Cleveland, well, Cleveland already has good year, but you know some of the other teams they can they can point to this and say, hey, look look at this, and I mean they can say that you know the Warriors are going to be on national TV a lot, so Rack Ten will get a lot more traction both in the U.S. and globally. Yeah, I'd be interested to see 
how much or whether beyond three years if there's any kind of an option and who has it to continue this relationship because I think you can assume that the Warriors will be worth that 20 million but what we've seen them do with their personal seat licenses that are they're basically getting a loan from their season ticket holders that's going to be paid back over the next 30 years is they're leveraging their current popularity to try to get money into the future they've been unable to really do much with their tv contract which runs for, for quite some time uh be interesting to see whether this jersey deal uh, if they're able to do that although i think it is only technically a three-year experiment uh, as of now because I, i'm sure they're gonna like give up all this money after after this right like the, oh yeah that, that's the way it always works when they find a new revenue stream they just lop it off yeah uh this is one more here Dwayne wade reportedly at odds with the bulls front office he felt that they misled him about Jimmy Butler, that he would be around. That obviously was not the case because they had that too-good-to-be-true offer from the Timberwolves. Uh, but they're certainly not giving a ton of impression that Wade uh, will be long for the Bulls this season. But, of course, it made sense for the idea that he would have opted out if he had known what was going to happen. Not realistic to me because he could always just take enough of a buyout whatever his buyout ends up being it's probably still more than he would get on the open market and then I, then he can just pick his destination as opposed to having to and keep his you know 15 or more million of whatever he gets bought out for as opposed to having to just go to a team that was willing to pay him that much which probably would have been a bad team this year so he would have opted in i think regardless yeah i mean he had 23.8 million reasons to as i think he said at one point earlier in the offseason and so (laughs) this kind of felt like the natural evolution of this that he would you know be unhappy with where they were and i mean there's also the chance whenever zach levine is healthy that he's going to be a sixth man on a terrible team which i'm sure won't make him happy and so they'll, they'll figure something out at some point and he'll end up at a place that he wants to be for the end of the season and that'll have to be good enough all right i think we're done here that's uh had a lot to catch up on we'll get back to it with frank madden right after this word we'll be right back to talk about the box with frank madden after this from the inaugural sponsor of the dunked on basketball nba podcast SeatGeek. i have the SeatGeek app on my phone when i want to shop for tickets I use it. One of my favorite artists, Trombone Shorty, was in town about a month ago, looked up tickets for him on SeatGeek. The reason I like SeatGeek and so many others do as well, I mean, there's a reason they've been a sponsor of the show for now over two years. Dointown listeners obviously love their product. Saves you time and it saves you money. They aggregate ticket selling sites together in one place for you. So you don't have to go to eight or nine sites, try to figure out if that best deal is around the corner at the 10th site. Now it's all in front of you with SeatGeek. And they also save you time and money by grading each ticket based on value, comparing its location and its price. So now all you have to do is go into that SeatGeek app. You've got the tickets in front of you. You can compare them, look at their value rankings, spend 90 seconds doing this instead of what used to be this 20-minute process where you're freaking out that you didn't get the absolute best deal. SeatGeek helps give you peace of mind that you did get the best deal, and it does it in way less time. The way to get started with them, of course, download that SeatGeek app and get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase via that familiar promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember, since we talk about that all the time here on the program, that's $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase using that promo code CAPSPACE. Joining me now, noted Bucks optimist Frank Madden from the <laughs> Locked on Bucks podcast. What's going on, buddy? 
Uh, I'm doing well. I mean, last year I carried on uh, our friend Jeremy Schmidt's mantle as uh, as, <laughs> as the Bucks as the Bucks guy who always takes the under on the Bucks. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I guess uh, optimist was said in jest, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'm I, I have to say after 25 years of you know just sustained consistent mediocrity, I don't know. I I think there is some reason to feel better about the Bucks, and obviously we'll get into that now. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about. Uh, a team that has a ton of continuity last year so this inquiry will be more useful perhaps than for some other teams of just what was this team last season a 42 and 40 record right about there in terms of their point differential basically neutral overall but how good were these guys last year yeah, I mean, when I was, you know, we were discussing this before for the call. I mean, I, I thought of it as as really a a play in three parts or three acts. Um, and you can probably break it down to, to sort of three distinct parts of the season. And a lot of that traces back to some of the injuries they had as well. And I, I know a year ago, you know, we recorded one of these and then we had to re-record it because Chris Middleton tore his hamstring right after we recorded our first one. And that obviously changed our, you know, our projections greatly. And um, last year, they, you know, they, they definitely outpaced my my expectation overall with that 42 and 40 record but um you know it's interesting I mean, you look at this team last year they started off first 38 games they're 20 and 18 they have almost a plus three net rating um so probably a little unlucky to not to be better than they were they had a bit of an easy schedule to start but you know Giannis, his explosion into superstardom um really carried them and um they were getting great production from their bench as well jabari parker you know was finally kind of living up to that uh you know sort of hype that he had gotten obviously from you know whenever high school you know when whenever he was on the cover of sports illustrated in high school you know we're finally sort of seeing that as a 20 point per game score maybe some other holes in his game we'll talk about that but um but yeah things were, were really kind of looking good in spite of middleton being out and then they hit this january swoon where you know the wheels kind of came off um they go two and 11 in a span of 13 games uh really looked like they were going to fall out of the playoff picture entirely there you know there was talk of middleton coming back around the all-star break but um you know honestly this looked like a team that kind of was on the verge of giving up on jason kidd entirely and some rumors that kid was maybe yeah also I, I mean, I think, not so, so motivated. I think we all thought around that time i mean this is you know maybe like march 1st or so that they had in fact if they hadn't given up on him that he really w- was a major problem and i've never been a huge fan of his for reasons we'll get into for the 97th consecutive year no doubt but i think <laughs> yeah you you thought that at that point that they're going to move on for him there's discussion at least you know who knows which part of their fractious ownership group was moving in that direction of potentially firing kid but it definitely sounded like there was a lot of smoke there at that time yeah and you know again just sort of the symbolic value of, of uh, February 8th I think it was uh, the day that Chris Middleton finally comes back you know, I don't know how many minutes he played with Jabari Parker in that game, but Jabari Parker goes down. I think in the in the second half against Miami with that you know second torn ACL he sustained in you know basically two years, and you know it just you know you just had this feeling of oh you know finally Chris Middleton's back. Maybe Chris Middleton can help turn this season around. And then you lose Jabari Parker, which obviously you know not just for for last season, but just in the grand scheme of the franchise is such a huge huge thing to happen. Just because you know so much of the I think kind of thesis on this team and this roster was around. You know, Giannis plus Jabari plus Chris Middleton. So, um, but the interesting thing was, you know, we get to this third act. Um, they end up going on this big hot streak to end the year um, with Middleton returning. They they won uh, 20 of their last 31 games, but 
only a plus 0.6 net rating, um, basically average both offensively and defensively. They became a lot slower as a team with Middleton uh, and Nojabari, um, which probably isn't surprising, but um, but really interesting. They just started winning games, and you know, first half of the season they were terrible in you know kind of clutch situations down the stretch of games. They really struggled. Um, Middleton comes back. Malcolm Brogdon starts to get a lot more of that, those crunch time minutes and and those crunch time touches over Matthew Delvadova, and suddenly they start winning games winning close games and um, had a, a huge road trip out West, which we thought might be the the trip that broke them, to be honest, uh, before the season started. We looked at that and said, oh, boy, you know, that, that might be where if the Bucks don't have, you know, a nice uh, a cushion in the playoffs, and maybe that's where, where they lose it. And instead, it was really a galvanizing trip for them. Um, won close games against the Clippers and the Blazers, beat the Lakers, beat the Kings. Um, and that kind of ended up sort of propelling them uh, not just into the playoffs, but to the sixth, the sixth spot. And um, you know, ultimately um, end up having a, a very competitive series against the Raptors. Although by the same token, I mean, they really kind of, you know, had a great chance to to upset the Raptors. And um, I think in a lot of ways, the Raptors also sort of played into their hands and their style because, um, you know, as we'll talk about the Bucks defensively, um, they have some some question marks around the the, the way they play stylistically. But um, their style of defense, if you don't pass the ball, if you're not a team that's willing to move the ball around and look for open, you know, corner threes, um, which certainly the Raptors are a team that moves the ball about as, as little as anyone, um, you can play right in their hands. And for, for about three games, Games, that's that's what happened but um, obviously ultimately fell short so um, interesting season probably you know a, a satisfying season for everyone and in large part because of Giannis really exploding into that you know next tier and um, you know certainly a, a guy that, that I think justified uh, top 10 consideration for the MVP a year ago and obviously the hope is much more this year and I think the the interesting thing I mentioned you know the, the point differential last year after Middleton coming back um, being basically even right and, and sort of indicating that there was a lot of luck involved, a lot of clutch play that maybe didn't they get, didn't get early in the season. They got late. Um, so maybe that kind of evened out a little bit, but probably the most encouraging thing. And, and especially as you look at this roster now without Jabari for likely the majority of this season, you know, they've talked about him coming back um, maybe at the all-star break, but you know, with Chris back and hopefully at full strength, he looked a bit slowed last year. Yeah, um, I, I you look at that, the, especially in the playoffs, he looked like he yeah. was worn down, didn't, didn't have really the juice to go by anybody at that point. Yeah, and I, but I think the interesting thing was as much as maybe they got lucky late in the season there, that stretch, you know, that there was maybe um, a little bit of fool's gold in, in the record there over the last 30 games. Um, you look at the the numbers from, and again, small sample sizes, but if you look at the numbers from kind of the key guys, you know, the starting five, either with Brogdon or Della Vadova, um, they were really good. They defended, you know, uh, under 100 uh, defensive rating, um, both plus double digits uh, with Brogdon and Delhi. You know, again, not a lot of sample size, 100 to 135 minutes but they were really good and and Middleton Giannis and Thon um, were excellent together plus uh, plus 13 14 net rating in 255 minutes so I think that's I think a lot of the reason for the optimism is in spite of the fact that as you said um, you know this is a team that really didn't do much of anything in terms of roster turnover over the summer so um, certainly they're they're a good and interesting case study in terms of the value of continuity especially on a young team yeah it's interesting I think that they're perversely despite the fact that they improved so much last year those moves in the summer of 2016 and thank god of course that they were able to get off of that Plumley contract they paid the price for that by recently having to stretch spencer hawes but nonetheless they at least got off of that Plumley money but those moves even now toledovich 10 million a year delhi 10 million a year those look worse in some ways because they were better last year and because i didn't think that delhi 
or Toledovich were that important to what they were doing. And obviously they got Brogdon, who was a breath of fresh air out of nowhere. But Giannis becoming a superstar really changed a lot of what this team was about. We feel like, okay, you know, hey, maybe they can get back to the playoffs, be the eighth seed. But, you know, are Giannis and Jabari really going to be that good? You know, and, and even what Jabari gave them early on, at least offensively, was more encouraging, I think, than anyone who would have anticipated, especially with his shooting from three and now they're kind of locked in a little bit and you know i think uh, uh ben thompson a huge bucks fan always likes to lament that summer of 2016 i i feel similarly about that but it does seem now as we're going to talk about this next season seeing them how did they take the next step you know they're over under for this year is 47 wins and they haven't really made many new additions of those that they have how do you think they fit in yeah, I mean, basically the the roster, especially bringing back Jason Terry um, as sort of the you know the grizzled veteran uh, at the ripe old age of forty, he gave them many more decent minutes than I certainly would have expected. You know, you look at him as a guy that um, more of a veteran locker room guy, but um, for better or worse, Jason Kidd played him a ton, and the Bucks were actually pretty good when he was on the court. But um, you know, overall, in terms of changes. Really, it's just the two rookies that are coming in, DJ Wilson, the 17th overall pick, you know, kind of a combo forward, likely more of a four in time, kind of a stretch guy, lanky defender. Um, And Sterling Brown, the second round pick, who, to be honest, I think people are maybe even more excited about Sterling Brown and and how he might fit in long term and compared to DJ Wilson. So the two young guys, really the only, you know, addition, Spencer Hawes uh, was stretched uh, to basically get them back under the luxury tax um, at the end of uh, last month. And then Michael Beasley moved on, of course, to, to New York, which, you know, again, I, I enjoyed the Michael Beasley experience in Milwaukee much more than I expected. Um, but, you know, again, not, obviously not a guy that uh, that was irreplaceable as team. So otherwise, um, you know, largely intact. You know, we'll see if Wilson um, can can fill some Beasley's minutes uh, that he had last year. He'll compete with uh, Toledovich uh, for, you know, stretch four minutes. We'll see. I don't, I don't know if Wilson will play much three, you know, to be honest, I think. In today's day and age, probably uh, more he's, four, he's obviously. A pure but, four, absolutely, I think. Yeah. Uh, based on what I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, he could maybe switch some some pick and roll, sure, but um, I think more of a four, and uh, so he'll compete with Tladovich. You know, mainly Giannis, more or less playing playing the four at this point. Um, give him some some run uh, as a backup, and then Brown. I think you know, interesting. I mean, the Bucks uh, guard rotation, um, obviously having Middleton healthy this year compared to last year is a huge boost. Um, Tony Snell is back. We'll see if Tony can can replicate sort of the breakthrough he had last year uh in milwaukee after that move uh from the bulls um so he'll certainly be a guy that you know will hopefully earn that 46 million dollar new deal um but beyond him and and middleton you know certainly i mean jason terry got 17 minutes a game last year so um yeah. certainly there are minutes to be won there and uh and I, I certainly as much as i like jason terry i would be thrilled if uh if sterling brown or or rashad vaughn but let's be honest rashad vaughn probably not a guy that that bucks fans are, are expecting too much from but um but certainly one one of those young guys has a chance to, to maybe break out and, and get some regular run uh, in the rotation as well. But other than that, yeah, probably what we saw late last year will be very similar to what we see this year. Thon Maker will probably be getting more minutes um, at the expense of Greg Monroe and, and John Henson. But, um, you know, for the most part, again, a lot of continuity. Yeah, and you do think it, at backup two, they can shift Del Vadova over there. I know he played some minutes there in crunch time at the two next to Brogdon. Those guys both have enough physicality and size that they can guard most twos you mentioned Von Terry shot 42 percent somehow from three last year hard to imagine that that happens again they recently signed Brandon Rush to not clear exactly how much of that is guaranteed I'm guessing not that much uh, but I think he's actually a guy who is underrated because he doesn't really put up the counting stats but he actually you know 
in terms of the on-off stuff, he wasn't too bad with the Wolves last year. He can make a three, and he gets not a terrible defender. So I think he's someone who maybe could fit in. And then you mentioned Braun. So they're going to have to hope that one of those guys comes through in that backup two role and really backup three as well. They don't necessarily have anyone with Parker out. Wilson probably not ready. Giannis basically is, is going to have to play mostly four, you would think. And then Middleton is really your only three. So they're going to have to get some backup minutes from those guys. But I think they have enough to pull it together. Yeah, I, I think so. And, um, you, you know, again, I, I think it's interesting to kind of look at the levers and we can kind of, you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk about this one in terms of the, the win projection, because certainly, you know, an over under 47 and a half compared to a team that last year, you know, as you mentioned, had, you know, expected win total based on point differential of, of 40 wins. Right. So, um, you know, as much as they, they had that hot finish to the season again, how how real was that? Um, you know, we can talk a little bit about guys who maybe improve this year, guys who might regress. Um, but certainly uh, they're going to be an interesting team. And, and again, you know, I think John Schumann had his continuity index where he measured, you know, sort of projected minutes this year from rotation guys versus uh, last year. And, you know, the Bucks are number one in that. Right. And I know for a long time, people have lamented the Bucks sort of continuously turning the team over. And um, there's there's always this rant like the random guy it used to be Ursan Eliasova. Now it's John Henson, the guy who just for some reason never gets moved because, you know, he's, his contract's bad or for some reason, like he just sticks around. Um, but this year, actually, you know, we're finally seeing a team team that um, for better or worse, you know, you mentioned the the lack of cap flexibility. That's certainly a big part of it. Um, but I think it's interesting, you know, especially with the young team, there, there's obviously room for a lot of these guys to grow into their roles. I think it is going to be an interesting test of, you know, um, how much that continuity can make maybe help them grow. And I think especially on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, I think that's really the area where if they are going to make a big leap, it's probably going to have to come on that side. Yeah, we'll get to the, the overall team dynamic momentarily. I want to talk about who could improve it. I think Giannis, amazingly enough, is the the place to start there because he did take incredible strides last season can you summarize briefly just what it was that was so much better about him to really go from a player who probably frankly was not among the top 50 players in the nba to being you know certainly a top 15 and perhaps arguably a top 10 player in the nba yeah, I mean, I think we saw the hints of it after the All-Star break the, the previous year in, in the spring of 2016 where, you know, they, they kind of went with this extreme point Giannis approach and, you know, didn't really have anything to lose. And, you know, he ends up putting up 19, 9, 7 assists, you know, close to two blocks, two steals after the All-Star break. And I think that kind of opened up everybody's eyes to like, OK, this this guy's like finally starting to sort of put together this really unique and you know in some ways never before sort of you know set of skills and size and length and athleticism um and i I think you know the the big thing is you know every year it seems like we talk about Giannis and saying oh well if he if he adds the three-point shot then he's going to take the the next step and he's made basically the next step every year of his career thus far without having really developed that shot. And so it's kind of interesting. I mean, I I was joking with someone that, you know, in four years we're going to be saying, well, if Giannis, you know, ever, ever adds a three point shot, then, you know, maybe he'll, he'll be a top 10 player of all time or something like that. You know, like he'll just, he'll just keep improving and won't won't necessarily become, become the guy who has a consistent shot. But, um, you know, I think the big thing with him was, you know, especially if you look at, you know, just look at pictures of him over the years, um, you know, the, the strength, that he's added both in his core. I mean, you know, it's, you can see in his upper body for sure. Um, but he's just gotten so much stronger. I mean, you know, there were plays last year where he just got the ball around the basket and, you know, he could just basically put his, put his body into a guy and, and just finish over them. You know, I just think of, um, a couple plays in that, in that Raptor series, I think it was in the first game where, you know, he just basically drove in on Serge Ibaka and just put his shoulder in him and just, 
you didn't think there was any way he was going to dunk the ball and he just used yeah. all of his length and strength and just dunked right over top he of him. He dunks from the craziest angles that you ever see, especially <laughs> yeah. with the left too. Like he, he's ambidextrous with those dunks. It's really remarkable what he's able to do now with the, the length that he's uh, achieved, you know, growing now to 6'11". Yeah, and, and I think it's, you know, you talk about like, just being able to to finish fluidly from in so many different ways, right? I mean, a lot of guys, you know, you talk a lot when you when we're doing like draft analysis. I always like to look at at, at if a guy is a two footed leaper or not, right? Because especially if you're a guard and you have to really gather yourself to to go off two feet, it, it's a lot harder to to finish, especially if you're trying to drive to the basket. I mean, Giannis is the opposite, right? I mean, he can drive, jump off his right foot, dunk with his left. He can drive easily, finish, you know, obviously off his left foot with his right two feet, you know, one foot, it doesn't matter. He, he's just got so much versatility and so much fluidity. Um, and he's just become so confident that, you know, the, the numbers now every year in terms of his, his efficiency at the rim is just, you know, sky high. So he's just so tough to stop, um, when he's going to the basket and, you know, you look at sort of like a synergy numbers, like he's not great as an isolation guy. He's not great as a post guy. You know, he's not great as a pick and roll guy. He's definitely got a lot of areas he can improve in those sort of like, you know, specific respects. He's definitely still more of a kind of flow of the game type score he's not like just an iso clear out type guy um but he's really gained a lot of you know he's, he, he definitely has a lot more tricks in his bag than he used to you know you might actually see him pull off a drop step in the in the post right you, you'll occasionally see him shoot a little hook um I, I think you know those areas where he's going to prove a lot you know if you can get a little push shot um you know things with his length they're just gonna be impossible to stop but you know really it's just sort of the complete package that he's and he's improved and I think, you know, his playmaking was something we started to see in the spring of 2016. Um, you know, again, he's not like a LeBron level passer, but he's you know very unselfish. Um, and he has certainly for a 6'11 guy, you know, uncommon levels of vision. And I think that's areas where he, he still has upside to improve. Um, and then I think defensively, you know, I think last year was really the year where he kind of put it together and, and went from being just a guy who could make highlight real plays to a guy that actually really impacted the game defensively and not necessarily as a guy who's like a shutdown uh, you know, perimeter defender. I mean, I think his kind of long limbs actually probably make him less useful, you know, if he's trying to cover, cover really far away from the basket one-on-one. But, um, you know, as far as like, you know, hedging and recovering on a screen and roll, um, you know, being able to be a weak side shot blocker, getting into passing lanes, you know, as as, as far as free safety for safeties go, you know, he's one of um, certainly the very best in the league at doing that. And just, you know, his size and length allows him to cover up. He's so many different types of players on switches. So, um, you know, just kind of putting it all together. I think that was a big thing for me. I mean, I, I, I talked about before last season thinking he could you know I, I thought once Middleton went down he would average 20 points he'd probably average eight boards five assists but I wasn't really sure if he was going to kind of put it all together to the point of actually really helping you win a lot of games and I think that was really the big difference and obviously a big reason why the Bucks were more successful and certainly I thought they'd be after the Middleton injury yeah I agree with you that he is not quite there yet as an ISO score and also the the shooting remains an issue now if you watch him before games shoot around from long too he makes every single shot that he takes you know he, he really when i went to a buck shoot around i noticed that about him and that was back in in late november so i think a lot of it too is just a conscience thing you know he he feels like that that's not and from three even more so that he can do better that there's a better shot to get for either himself or the team and so when he's left open it really kind of gets in his head a little bit and maybe what needs to happen is he's got to have a year where they say hey just far away if you miss you miss but you're going to take that shot we want you mentally to say as soon as that opening is there i'm going to shoot it because i do think that he can make those shots in practice maybe that's what will end up happening or maybe you know that won't necessarily come around but certainly he shot well below 40 percent on anything outside of the 
immediately at the rim uh whether it was long twos and then those three pointers only 27 percent out there uh did have 194 dunks though which was uh which <laughs> certainly were enjoyable uh, for bucks fans uh, and then chris middleton we don't need to hit on him quite as much i don't think uh, because we know that he came back from that hamstring injury but the thing that we always want to see from him because he's such a good three-point shooter is just to take more out there you know i, I hope that <laughs> yeah. he he really likes to kind of get into the mid post and, and do his iso thing that certainly jason kidd loves that kind of mismatch one-on-one ball surprisingly enough for a guy who's considered one of the best passers of all time that he likes that kind of style but you know if Middleton just spent more time actually I think the biggest problem is he just doesn't really stand outside the three-point line that much and then his release is maybe a little bit slower as well as and then he's not encouraged to take as many threes also so I, I think that's another big step for him uh but on the other hand then you know who else is going to create offense on this team other than Giannis especially with Jabari now on the shelf yeah, I mean, uh, Middleton, I, you know, I, I joke with uh, Eric Name, who I, I co-host Locked on Bucks with, you know, we, every year uh, somebody, one of us, you know, writes something about how Chris Middleton needs to shoot way more threes, you know, because he just, just, he's just one of those guys, like if he, if he pump fakes, a guy flies by, you know, most guys now, like they'll, they'll look for that sidestep or yeah. whatever to get, to get an open three. Chris is a guy who likes to take that one extra dribble in and, and turn it into a shorter shot, which again, he's a very good shooter at that. That's a, like something that's definitely like in his comfort range. But, um, you know, when you have a guy as good as him and I forget what he averaged last year, if it was like around like four threes per 36 or something I mean, like that, yeah, I mean, it's o- just only 31% of his shots from downtown. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of crazy that in today's day and age that a guy, you know, who's that good and, and historically 43% last year, he's pretty much at 40% every year, um, that he's still not looking for that yeah. shot more. So, um, and, and as you said, again, I mean, like offensively from a philosophical standpoint, and the Bucks really only realized last year that shooting three-pointers helps um, and is a good thing. So they, they improved a lot last year, upping their their three-point attempts and their makes, but um, certainly still playing from behind, certainly still like a bottom 10 team in that regard. And, you know, with Chris, I think it's both, you know, on him as well as on the coaching staff to to try to get him out into those positions and and certainly you know in the past he's also had to take more of a playmaking role we'll see you know with Giannis when they're on the court together you'd hope that would not be the case that Giannis would be more the guy uh and then sort of just putting the shooters like like Chris around him but he'll certainly probably still have to do playmaking because you'd hope that they stagger their minutes a lot and make sure that one of those guys is on the court at all times but but yeah three three or four threes in a game I I think everyone would be much happier if that was a a number was closer to six or seven yeah and I mean he has 57 percent true shooting which is a little bit better than league average but for a guy who shot 43 percent from downtown like he's just got to take more and even if he doesn't hit 43 percent or 40 percent you know if he's shooting 38 percent but way higher volume that would really help things uh, how about thon maker what's the next uh, step for him and his development after what was a, a very encouraging playoffs and then a very disappointing couple of games in summer league yeah i mean i i think my my view of thon really over the past year has been um i, I don't know i view him more as as, as a actually a, a high floor guy than necessarily a, a high ceiling guy which yeah i um, feel the know, same. i think yeah, I mean, I think especially, you know, just the way he kind of came into the basketball conscience with, you know, just sort of being highly touted coming out of high school. I think people just sort of automatically thought of him as this really high ceiling kind of boomer bust guy. But, you know, you look at a guy like this who's, you know, just people rave about his character, um, his work ethic, um, you know, and obviously the physical tools he has as as this guy who's legit 7-1 and, and just moves his feet so well. And we saw that against the Raptors where, you know, he could just get out in space and, and track with a guy like Kyle Lowry. 
Um, you know, those tools, plus the fact that, you know, he's a guy who shot 38% from three as a rookie, um, wore down as the season went on in, in terms of being able to consistently hit that shot. But, um, you know, he was at, uh, my, my co-host Eric was interviewing him the other day at a, a charity golf outing. And, you know, I asked him, well, what, what's the thing you've really added this summer? And he said, well, I've worked on my shot a lot. It's a lot better. And we were like, oh, okay. That, you know, you wouldn't expect the guy who that was sort of his one offensive thing last year to really necessarily emphasize that or, or think that that's where he made his biggest strides. But certainly if, if he could prove that, you know, he was a legit threat, that that wasn't a fluke last year, that's obviously huge. Cause if you've got a guy with his, you know, sort of defensive tools and motor and you combine that, you know, with the fact that not only is he, can he defend centers, which I, I really didn't think he was going to do last year. Um, but him being able to step out and, and consistently knock down open threes, that's obviously a, a really dynamic skill set in, in the modern NBA. But, um, I, you know, I think if, if we want to look at him and say, okay, you know, can he become more of like a star caliber player? I mean, I think he's got the tools to be like a, you know, kind of a, a star role playing type guy. I agree. Um, but to, you know, to be kind of into that next, that next level, you know, where he could, could he score 15 to 18 points a game to do that? I think, you know, we'd have to see more ball skills from him, more, more kind of feel for the game when he gets the ball at, you know, the foul line and, you know, can he take that one dribble and, and then get up, you know, a, a baby hook shot or, or make some kind of basic move where, where he's able to get himself a high percentage shot. You know, he wasn't really asked to do that, but really didn't look comfortable doing it necessarily last year either. Had a, had a couple times where, you know, he pumped fake from the perimeter and was able to put it on the floor and, and finish, but that was very rare for him last year. And, um, you know, just getting more comfortable passing the ball. We saw a little bit more of that as the season went on, but only in kind of, you know, random instances. So I think just developing that, that ball, that those kind of ball skills a little bit, again, I don't think he's going to ever be a, a 20 point per game score or something like that. But, but if we saw a little bit more of that this year, I think that would be a big thing. And, you know, I'm sure we saw the same things at summer league, right? I mean, that was decidedly what we did not see at summer league. We didn't see any evidence of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think that'll be interesting to see if, if we see a little bit more of that. And certainly um, he'll be a starter from day one this year. So hopefully the comfort level will also be a lot higher. Yeah. I think in a more imaginative offense, he could really be used. Well, I was actually impressed a few times. There was one play that comes to mind for me where he pump fake drove the baseline and threw a, just a beautiful pass to a guy coming down the lane for a dunk. Like he actually can make some passes on the move. But he is, he's not really exceedingly quick off the dribble. I think also his finishing around the rim is something that he could stand to improve. And I think that's really, if he can just get to be, refine all the skills that he already has shown in spurts, I think that he becomes an incredibly valuable player as a guy who can space the floor from three as a pick and pop guy, move his feet, as you mentioned, switch, protect the rim. He'll never get a defensive rebound because you know he's on the box. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and he certainly was dominated on the defensive glass in that summer league stint as well when which is actually in some ways harder than the nba to get a defensive rebound because people are going crazy in terms of the intensity and, and not playing as many minutes but nonetheless it was pretty ugly for him but yeah i think that's he's pretty skinny doesn't have the biggest hands either so it's hard for him to get great yeah. extension around the rim if he has a body on him he's not really able to power up and he shot a for a guy with his skill set who's taking the type of shots you would want that he's taking around the rim only 63 percent around the rim is a little bit disappointing but he's not that explosive of a guy you know it may he may always struggle a little bit there but I think just, yeah, as a role player extraordinaire, he's someone that I think could be really good. The idea that he's going to create offense for you other than just, you know, as, as a pick and pop screen guy for a three uh, seems unlikely. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned the the, the explosiveness and, or the lack thereof. And you, you look at his combine numbers, I think he had like a 36 or 37 inch max vertical, which I think was like the, the best for, for any legit seven footer in like the history of the yeah, combine or something. Yeah, it means nothing, though. And, 
Yeah, and you really watch it right because you watch it, you kind of watch it in practicality. And you know, if he has like time and like a, a lane to kind of really gather, then you can kind of see some of the athleticism. But if he's just catching and going from a standstill and having to finish over somebody, it's just not there, right? He he just can't kind of get up, and you know, he's just not strong enough. And and certainly that, you know, they, he he said, you know, if he can get to six meals a, in a day, that's that's a win for him. He's you know on one of those ridiculous calorie diets, and you know, one of those guys who knows how much uh, muscle or, or weight he'll ever put on, but certainly adding core strength. I mean that that's one area where Giannis did improve really appreciably. You know, that's one of those things his first year or two, um, if he caught the ball on a stand still, you know, around the basket with, with a big guy on him, you know, he couldn't go up and power and, and dunk all over him. And, um, last year we, he, he started to do that. I mean, there was, I just always think back to this one play where, you know, he caught the ball and, and miles Turner was, was standing there trying to block him. He just kind of just powered right through him, just dunked all over him. And it was like, okay, Giannis is, is becoming a man among, uh, among boys now in this league. And, um, I, I don't expect thumb to get to that level I, I generally hate it when people try to compare Thon and Giannis just because they're yeah. you know skinny and we're kind of mystery yeah, men or they, whatever they have very draft, different but... uh, body types than yeah. Genetics I think as well too. Yeah. like like Giannis was the type of guy you could see him putting on more weight whereas Thon yeah filling sure out that, yep. that'll be the case yeah yeah but but either way I mean certainly this is a big year I think both Brogdon and Thon are interesting because, you know, Brogdon coming off this, you know, unforeseen rookie of the year, you know, win um, and and Thon obviously kind of, you know, playing a lot more than I think a lot of us thought and, and actually playing center. Right. Like, I think a lot of us thought like he wouldn't be able to do that, especially as a rookie. Um, you know, who knows? Right. I mean, you, you hope that a year from now we don't look back and say, well, this was the high point in the in the value of Thon Maker and, and Malcolm Brogdon. So I think really important years for them not to necessarily like, you know, become stars or something like that. I, I don't think Brogdon has that kind of upside, but. Um, certainly important, I think, when you when you talk about the Bucks and and their big picture hopes of of becoming you know building a contender around Giannis. I mean, you know, as we talked about, I mean, they, they don't have a ton of flexibility. They're not going to go out and add a max guy next year. Um, they really need these guys that are currently on the roster to put it together and develop and grow. And and certainly Thon as well as Malcolm are guys that you know are going to have to continue to improve and you know sort of just being excited about being you know rookies who were able to play and do stuff in the playoffs. I mean, that that's not going to be enough. They have to grow a lot more than from what we've seen. So we are running slow here. As uh, you and I, uh, two noted, we always do noted lengthy talkers, <laughs> always do. Uh, so quickly, I think Toledovich maybe another guy who you would expect to do a little bit better. I mean, I still think that he was more effective maybe than some people, including Jason Kidd, gave him credit yeah. for just because you got to guard him out there, and they didn't have right, as yep. much of an option as a stretch for, especially before they started playing Thon. By the way, Thon only twelfth on the team in minutes last year. Only played five hundred sixty-two minutes. It really it did not play at all in the first half of the year, and then he was getting the Keith. Bogans, uh, you know, just start each half <laughs> and, and never come back in for much of the second half of the year until. Uh, you know, he had a couple of times where he played in crunch time in the playoffs and, and down the end of the year. But so we'll see if he merits a lot more minutes. I mean, John Henson played double the number of minutes that he played. And I think that's, uh, given how much we talk about both of those guys, you wouldn't think that. Uh, nonetheless, I, I think Toledovich can be better. Only uh, 515 true shooting for Toledovich, 34% on threes last year. So you have to imagine he can bounce back there a little bit, although he has slipped some defensively from where he was kind of an underrated guy in his New Jersey years. Uh, but regression candidates here, I do think, especially when you're dealing with the team that take took a big step forward last year, despite the fact that Middleton was out and really exceeded expectations, you have to wonder if there is some regression. I think particularly some of the three-point shooting we saw from guys who didn't necessarily have that reputation coming in is a prime candidate there. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, Tony Snell wasn't a bad three-point shooter during his time in, in Chicago. I mean, I, I don't think Snell's going to shoot 30% next year, um, but shooting 40%, that was a big bump for him. And that's really the, the key way he contributes offensively. So if he, if yeah, he falls he off there, absolutely that's, that's a big nothing deal. Else. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, Brogdon, you know, we, we always joke about Matthew Delvadova and Brogdon having, you know, that their releases are like, you know, uh, Revolutionary War muskets that just take forever to, to load up. And, um, you know, Brogdon shot extremely well from three last year, didn't shoot a ton in terms of volume, which, you know, obviously takes a little bit, you know, blunts the, the value of that a little bit. But, um, I mean, I remember seeing him at Summer League and just the way he shoots, I just didn't think he'd be able to stretch all yeah, the way out it, to three it looked, point range. It lo- you thought it was like so flat, right? There was no, yeah. Like you, you thought he was really going to have to rework things, and then you know he was making everything. Yeah, so I mean, he's a guy who, I mean, if he shot thirty three percent this year, I mean, that wouldn't wouldn't shock me. Um, so so we'll see if those guys can kind of keep that up. You mentioned Jet shot well again, but you know, hopefully you don't rely too heavily on a guy like Jet, and and hopefully Toledovich's improvement kind of outweighs some of the other guys. Uh, you know, getting you know coming back down to earth. Um, so certainly some of that shooting I think could could be an issue. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the other guy. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about Greg Monroe. I, I mean, I, I I was a big fan of what he did last year but but we'll see this year i mean he's in a contract year you'd, you'd think the effort will be there again this year um you know he slowly uh, eventually came to embrace the six-man role last year but um wasn't quite as as good after the all-star break um the bench just in general wasn't as effective after the all-star break which is why even though the starters were much better um that point differential wasn't great so so we'll see um you know things kind of went well for him defensively last year he kind of made the best of of his abilities uh which necessarily tools wise aren't great so um we'll see hopefully he can be the same guy he was last year because you know honestly over the full course of the season he was probably the second most valuable player on the team when you factor in all the injuries yeah i guess that's true it's really interesting just some of the stats in this i mean snell for all you know it was 602 shooting but only 12 percent usage which is about as low as it gets for a wing player and then jason terry 9.8 percent usage i mean they had a lot of guys Toledovich, uh he was uh had an 8.8 pr terry was 9.1 pr snell and delhi both sub 10 prs and pr is not the be all end all but to have that many guys i mean that's uh of your top eight guys that's four guys with single digit prs you know that is tough to overcome eventually and it shows what Giannis and, and you mentioned monroe were able to do to help things out at least all of those guys shoot threes so they're going to look a little bit better than maybe like their per would give them credit for but it is interesting to see you know those are guys we really think of as quality options to know that like some of their stats were that bad yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You look at sort of the 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 roster combinations, the plus minus numbers for this team. I mean, it's remarkable how many of the best plus minus lineups involve Greg Monroe and Jason Terry and Brogdon was another guy who was on there. But Toledovich, you know, is in a bunch of those really yeah. good plus minus combinations. And, you know, as you said, a lot of it is, you know, those guys aren't necessarily high volume shooters. Toledovich didn't even shoot well last year, but, you know, you have to guard him inside of, you know, 35 feet. Um, and so at least that threat was important. And obviously Monroe, um, you know, again, you mentioned Jason Kidd's uh, enjoyment of the post game, uh, maybe against uh, the better judgment of, of 21st century basketball. But, um, you know, if you're going to want to do that, at least a guy like Greg Monroe can can play that way. And um, obviously, if if teams do try to bring uh, extra bodies to him, he's, you know, a pretty good passer as well. So, um, so, yeah, unconventional. But again, the strange part is, I mean, this team was a better offensive team than defensive team a year ago. They were an above average offense and, and a below average defense, which, you know, I think certainly when you look at the personnel to me doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense um but i think that's an interesting discussion too just looking ahead to this year and and how they can improve i think delhi can be better i mean he only at 500 true 
shooting, which is bad, obviously. Uh, I think he needs to take more threes if he can, because he just is always yep. he's always going to be a horrendous two point shooter. I mean, he, he can't get all the way to the rim. He's got that floater. Doesn't really have the versatility to his jump shot to rise up and take it to i mean he'll run a pick and roll and he can throw some alley-oops and and find guys on the weak side but he turns it over quite a bit as well would you say that he was below expectations from what they thought they were getting when they signed him last year and uh, can he get better yeah, I mean, you know, his numbers came around a bit as the season went on. And so I think there there was, even at the end of the year, I think there was still some residual frustration because he didn't shoot the ball well um, earlier in the season. And, you know, there were a lot of times, you know, I mentioned Brogdon, you know, really not moving into the closers role until later in the season. Uh, and so much of what Kidd always tried to do late in games was try to run plays where, you know, Delhi would try to run an action with Giannis as, as a screener. And then, you know, guess what? They're they're going to basically give Delhi a shot, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if those are your options in a, in a pick and roll like you're going to dare Matthew Delvadova to shoot a floater and um, he really struggled in crunch time where it was really obvious um, and his three point percentage was was low for a lot of the season and it kind of came around towards the end of the year so um, you know certainly he was a 40% guy a couple times in Cleveland I mean if he can get back there in Milwaukee he was just short of 37% last year no, no, no. That he, would was, help a lot. he was a 40% guy last year he shot 40% uh, from zero to three feet oh there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Delhi, uh, Delhi, Delhi is uh, is uh, as you said. It, just just stay twenty three feet away from the he, basket. He and you'll is, be fine. He is one of the worst finishers in NBA history. He really is. But yeah, I actually I would have thought he didn't shoot thirty seven percent from three. I thought he was a little bit below there. But it, yeah, it's uh, and he is a quality option defensively. I think in just in terms of how hard he tries, he's not going to stay in front of the best guys. But he'll at least make life hard for them. He's a quality off ball option as well. And maybe I mean, who do you think is the best better of he and Brogdon at defending point guards at the point of attack? That's a good question. I mean, I, I went to one of the games in uh, in Milwaukee and against Toronto. And I mean, I, I remember just sitting there and, and I was I, I had really good seats and I was close to the floor. And you just watch a guy like Deli when you watch him fight through screens, you know, every every screen is like a life or death situation. And, you know, you really got to tip your hat to a guy like that. I mean, he leaves it all out on the court. Um, I, I mean, I would say from an overall perspective, I, I mean, I think from a defensive perspective, I, I still like Brogdon more just because, I mean, he's got a 6'11 wingspan. You know, he's he's strong and, and has a little bit more athleticism than certainly a guy like Deli does. But, you know, if, if you're if you're only asking a guy to just plow through screens <laughs> and and just be scrappy and annoying, I mean, Deli is a guy who certainly gets his money's worth. So, um, you know, and that's why, you know, the, the lineups with with either guy were, were great defensively towards the second half of the season when, when Middleton came back. So I don't think you necessarily lose a lot de- certain defensively certainly with Delhi. Um, I mean, there, there was a game last year in Indiana where they put Delhi on Paul George. And again, this is like a class and J- classic Jason Kidd thing. Like, why the hell would you put Matthew Delvadova on Paul George? This, this isn't even I something that normally Jason I, Kidd I would do. I understand it, actually, because George likes to come off of screens. He's not like a strong physical guy, and Delhi can really, like, kind of get into it. He him. just got into it. I mean, I, I didn't yeah, watch exactly. that game. I'm guessing you bring it up because it worked. Yeah, and, and it was you just annoyed him, right? And, yeah. and George just didn't like being crowded and, and being denied the ball. And, and so normally... Obviously, you know, I don't think we're going to see Delhi on, you know, LeBron or somebody, but on a guy like Paul George, yeah, for for uh, an eight minute span, it, it worked pretty well. But um, but yeah, point guard defense, obviously, an area where you hope the Bucks can can get something because clearly they don't have you know a, a premier playmaker or scorer at that position. Even though I I do hope Malcolm Brogdon improves, he's obviously not a guy you're going to look at as as necessarily a high upside guy at that spot. So I asked you, we're not going to have time to go through this whole thing, but of who is generally an overrated player on this team you mentioned Jabari Parker why 
briefly do you believe that to be the case? I mean, and we're talking about really pre-injury Jabari here. I mean, what he is going to be when he comes back, obviously, is a whole separate discussion. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen a few people make reference to like, oh, when Jabari comes back this year, he can give them a nice boost. I mean, I, I don't think he can count on that this year. I, I think agree. he'll probably be yeah. working his way back. And I, I think the problem with Jabari is, and, and again, I mean, he's just 22 years old. You know, you hate to kind of hold the the knee injuries against him because it's just horrible luck, obviously. Um, but he's still a guy. I mean, you know, you're going to have a hard time finding a, a worse team defender <laughs> at, at this point in the NBA than, than Jabari, which you know, especially and, if you're and he's also for, just a pathetic defensive rebounder as well. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's just tough. I mean, they, they put him on the ball more. I mean, he, I, I think of him more of as a small forward at this point, yeah. you know, when they, when they had him with Giannis, he, he would oftentimes defend on the ball against better, you know, like uh, normally against like the Paul Georges of the world, because basically like if, if he could at least look at the ball, then he was less likely to fall asleep and get burned off ball right. or, you know, make some sad attempt to, at help defense. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just not there. It just does not click for him on the defensive end. I mean, this is the big thing. If he could become a semi-passable defensive player, then then you might really have something because obviously the toolkit offensively is is pretty you know remarkable for a guy of his body type, um, and and he's just so unique offensively. But um, but it's just tough. And and obviously at this point, I mean, I, you know, I know you guys did the mock uh, you know extension podcast and. I mean, how you value Jabari Parker at this point, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't possibly see them reaching an extension this fall. And, you know, seeing seeing Mark Bartlestein uh, fleece teams, uh, the latest, you know, um, being uh, being with this Mason Plumley deal in Denver, I mean, it, it's scary because <laughs> Bartlestein has a history with the Bucks with Miles Plumley and going back as far as Mo Williams. So um, you just worry that now with Jabari Parker as a client, uh, you worry he might strike again because uh, certainly he's a long way from the max contract type guy that you hoped he was going to be a couple years ago. And um, it's going to be, I think, a really interesting discussion uh, and decision for them next summer. That That's really going to set the tone for the next few years, probably as far as their cap picture looks like. Yeah, it is. And Jabari, I, I really, we talked about what we expect to see for him this year. I mean, I, I expect when he returns, he will be a negative effect for them. And they're going to play him just because they need to figure out what's going on there once he comes back. And they're going to play it very conservatively. You have to hope at least that he'll be like pretty close to 100% when he does come back because it sounds like they're being extreme. You know, these are gonna, he's going to take more than a year currently seems to be the plan here. And I found just anecdotally that the three the two things that really suffer when guys come back from the acl one is the jump shot i actually talked to jabari last year at practice in november about how he was kind of caught in between a set shot and a jump shot when he came back and then really got back to shooting that jump shot and shooting from three and was much better last year before the injury so i I expect he's gonna have the same difficulties again coming back this year and then i think guys floor games really where you just you don't want to play with that reckless abandon that you need to in the floor game and that obviously or going up for rebounds in a crowd where you might land on someone or something like that so he already was really bad at those things and i imagine (laughs) it's only going to be worse when he returns and so whatever contract he gets at the end of this year because i agree with you the extension seems unlikely it will still be based largely on potential and i do think offensively he's coming right along i think he can be a very quality offensive player and there aren't that many guys who can create at the level 
usage he had last year 26 percent, and be above average efficiency and really just scratching the surface of what he can do and i i do think still if he's healthy maybe he'll just never be the same athletically after this second tear but if he can get back to where he was he could still be a dominating one-on-one score finisher around the basket all that stuff and this team as it's constructed they need more firepower they need more guys who can create shots and i don't see how they're getting that other than either just some luck out in the draft late where they're going to be drafting as long as they have Giannis on the team or by Jabari coming back to kind of fulfill the destiny that they saw for him when they drafted at number two overall in 2014. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thing, I mean, he he hasn't really even gotten to, I think, the level he can as like a one-on-one type of shot creator, right? And no, he, I agree. He's sim- similar to Giannis. He, he's, he's still also, in a lot of ways, a guy who plays within the rhythm of the offense. He's not like a ball stopper. Um, and so to his credit, you know, I think he's been a lot more unselfish than maybe I thought he was going to be coming out of Duke. But, um, you know, that that a combination of explosion, ability to get to the rim, be amazing in transition. That's an area where they dropped off a lot after uh, Jabari got hurt and, and Middleton came back. Um, but certainly seeing him especially confidently shoot that that three pointer last year. I think that was obviously a huge question because, you know, if the combination of Jabari and Giannis is going to work at some point in the future, um, one of them has to shoot threes. At, at a pretty good clip and um, I always figured Jabari was the more likely just because he's always been a pretty good shooter um, and obviously we started to see it last year And but as you said you know to see it this year um, certainly difficult to count on it alright so what is are the we've hit on a lot of these but what are some of the key playing time battles that kid is gonna have to sort out in in his uh rather interesting way <laughs> well he'll just play everybody at some point yeah. you know, regardless of, uh, of 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 how those battles work out um you know I, I think it'll be interesting i mean again like with so much continuity you can kind of probably guess pretty much you know how how things will work out i mean we'll see how the the push and pull of minutes go with with monroe and brock or monroe and, and thon maker um you know kid had this bizarre need to play a, a third center early in the second quarter in a lot of games last year. So like Henson or Spencer yeah. Hawes would randomly play. And, you know, again, he, he spent all year saying like, oh, we, we can't play three centers. And then he would just do it anyway. Yeah, so, or or it'd um, be plum, Plumlee and Monroe was out of the rotation for a couple of games early on. And then they got rid of Plumlee, but then Henson still had to play. It, it was very odd to me. And especially now that you have two seemingly quality options in Maker and Monroe, relegating Henson to, to the side lines would be the way that i would go but i agree with you i think we'll see more of him than uh, maybe bucks fans would like this year yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, again, the, the new guys are the two rookies, DJ Wilson, Sterling Brown. Um, you know, I think both those guys certainly have a chance to, to win some minutes. But, you know, obviously we're talking about backup kind of, re- you know, rotation minutes, not not to, you know, jumping in the starting lineup unless there's some kind of injury. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's pretty, pretty well laid out how things are going to go. I mean, they're going to start Brogdon. They're going to go with Snell, Middleton and Giannis. And then they're you know presumably going to obviously start Thon and then have Monroe come off the benches, you know, the key six man. So, um, again, one of the values of continuity. I, Again, I think a lot of the battles are going to be more in the trenches among those sort of, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten spots in the rotation. And with Kid, you often have the 11, 12 spots in the rotation on a nightly basis, too. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and I think their ability to score when Giannis is off the floor and defend as well, I think, could be difficult. Although I will say I think their defense, and that's really the key question to me, is how well are they going to defend this team? should be better really everyone who's in the rotation except for maybe Toledovich 
uh, and Monroe project as quality defenders and they have the tools for it and I think a bottom half of the league ranking and I could see them actually getting worse offensively this year with no Jabari all year and then some of these guys potentially regressing from three so I mean this team should be able to get to being you know the 12th best defense the 10th best defense with the physical talent they have uh, on hand but you mentioned they play this crazy gambling style they give up a ton of corner threes a lot of teams are prepared to take advantage of that now so uh, again this is going to be yet another referendum this year on Jason Kidd's coaching yeah I mean I think defensively I mean he's, he's basically out of excuses right I mean I, you know, there's been always been kind of rumblings of of maybe his lack of enchantment with Jabari and also Monroe and I think a lot of that traces back to to defensive question marks um but you know Jabari's not going to be in the picture here for for you know most of the season um Monroe I think was was fine defensively yeah. last year he I mean, really you impressed know, again, me in the playoffs like so he defended really the best that that I ever recall him doing uh for at times in that Toronto series yeah I mean he's one of the few guys who actually can defensive rebound a little bit and he's got you know really good hands I mean he you know you don't think of him as being a guy you'd want to like blitz a pick and roll but he actually is like coordinated enough to actually poke balls away and actually kind of get in the way of stuff yeah. so um so yeah no no real uh, excuses this year i mean i think if this isn't a top 10 defensive team then you know i mean again i mean i think a lot of us have already sort of just resigned ourselves to to kid being fairly inflexible and you know doubling in the post and doing all sorts of this kind of stuff that's like you know you're just sort of playing into to teams hands but um but it, you know as you said i mean if this system is going to work it's going to work with this type Type of, of group of players and so um, if they can't get it to work then then uh, you know that kind of plays into sort of what the downside scenario is but if they can I mean why can't this be a top 10 defensive team I mean I think it's certainly they have the the, the you know horses to do that um, Giannis I think certainly took huge strides last year I don't know I think you also you know had him uh, honorable mention all defense rather than the second team I think that's a you know certainly we can split some hairs there but obviously he's a guy who's now an impact defender and I think certainly with Thon you know you look at what Thon was able to do late in the season um it's it's a pretty intriguing group especially with the the versatility of the guys they have on the wing all being able to switch and defend multiple positions so um so yeah if they're not a top 10 defense then you know we'll, we'll see well i mean if they're a bottom half defense then um they're certainly not going to live up to to their you know projections as far as the the over under goes and um we'll see if jason kidd has a job a year from now because uh, that's obviously the the upside in this team if you look at it statistically you know they have a lot of room to improve defensively i, I agree they they could get worse offensively they could get maybe a little bit better offensively i don't see a high ceiling offensively but defensively um that's i think the big question mark yeah and maybe if Giannis takes yet another step forward uh, that'll uh, in fact be the case that they can get better offensively Uh, some of the big strengths i see for this team forcing turnovers defensively that's really the only thing they did well defensively last year but with that aggressive style and all the length that they have not a surprise and they actually shot the ball pretty well in terms of e-field goal percentage last year that again maybe that'll take a dip although uh, they were only 21st in the NBA in three-point attempt rate, despite having all these guys who shoot a great percentage. So uh, if they can shoot more threes, even if they shoot a worse percentage on them, maybe they can kind of stick around the same area that they were last season. And obviously the switching defense, I think just the overall length and athleticism, that's something that uh, the, the versatility and then depth as well. They've really got, other than maybe a backup too, I think they've still, even though Beasley and Hawes are no longer on the team, uh, I think they can do pretty well there especially with the continuity as well i I think they'll have they're not gonna be one of these teams where like oh man they've got minutes that they're giving to just like non-nba players 
Right. Uh, except, you know, if, if Rashad Vaughn doesn't improve and he gets like some random, you know, fourth quarter run, which he did, which he did on a few occasions last spring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, that's but, true. They don't need to give minutes to <laughs> non NBA players, but Jason Kidd might do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. But but who, who knows? Right. Maybe this is the year Rashad Vaughn only 21 years old. Maybe this is the year he nice sort of figure some stuff out. Yeah, he definitely. I mean, I thought, you know, at a minimum, uh, he had his best game against the Nets. So I thought, well, hey, maybe if uh, if they just want to dump him for, you know, uh, for a top 55 protected pick or something, the Nets at least saw his best game. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think they're, they're going to have, um, you know, again, if they have to go deep into the bench, um, this is a team that I think is pretty well suited to doing that. And, you know, I'll give Kick some credit. I mean, the, the randomness of the rotations, obviously, um, you know, it, it makes things less predictable. And, and you wonder if guys maybe don't get into a rhythm. Them, but um, by the same token, you know, when when teams when they do have injuries, um, you know, they're able to call on guys who who actually have played, and you know, guys, you know, certainly do probably stay a little bit more engaged because you know they know that they might get a chance to play, especially if you know they put some good time in and practice things like that. So I'll I'll save some some compliments for Jason Kidd too, because you know, again, the, the, the there are at least some positives to to the randomness of the rotations. At least you do have guys who who deserve to play, you know, down the end of bench, and and they do typically get some opportunities, and hopefully this year they'll deserve them. Yeah, and I also think that the development of, of a lot of the players on, on kids' watch, that he deserves some credit for that. Um, anything else you see as a big strength that the Bucks are going to be able to rely on this year? Um, Giannis's ability to just improve by leaps and bounds every yeah. year. Hopefully that, hopefully that will be one. Um, but uh, but we'll see. I mean, again, you know, I mean, it, it's funny, you know, when when we talked about the who's going to improve. I mean, until Giannis stops improving, I mean, I'm I'm not going to count him out. Um, and, and we'll see. I mean, as as a as Bucks fans, you know, we always talk about, um, you know, oh, for so many years they haven't had you know an, an all star, and now they not only have an all star, but a guy who, um, you know, has has legit talent and, and ability to be an MVP type. Uh, type candidate so um obviously having that type of talent is just puts them kind of in a different place than than the franchise has been in a long time and um you know it's been a, a common thing now people have talked over the summer the clock is now ticking with Giannis starting his four-year hundred million dollar contract and um obviously you know as much as uh, this is a team that's still oriented around probably the long-term future in terms of like you know trying to contend for something um clearly they, they're a team that has the ability to compete in the east at this point and um you know there is certainly pressure to to start putting it together and, and start winning you know doing more than just getting to the first round of the playoffs what about uh the weaknesses that opponents are going to be trying to attack this season well you already mentioned the i mean it's the the common refrain the uh defensive rebounding which the bucks just refuse to do i mean this has been probably for the last decade it feels like they've been near the bottom of the league every year um you know moving to thon over over greg Monroe certainly doesn't help that um but you know again that's just something that, that is just going to be a reality and they're gonna have to you know make up for that defensively with you know forcing turnovers and just being able to hopefully contest shots and, and limit teams ability to to score effectively um i, I think you know again we, we talked a little about jason kidd you know can can kid maybe overcome some of the stubbornness that maybe has has hindered them in previous years um that's obviously a question and then you know as i mentioned last year they were were a terrible team in crunch time and they were 30th in offensive rating uh in games you know last five minutes trailing or, or winning by five points or less um so that's one of those areas where you know 
you can say, oh, a team's young, whatever, but there's no reason a team that was 12th in offense should be 30th in, in offense in, in crunch time. And I think a lot of that, again, um, is from having young guys who maybe aren't used to, to having the ball. Maybe, obviously, some of the, the, the strategy of, of the offense under the coaching staff, you know, maybe trying to do a little bit too much through the Matthew Del Vadovas of the world. Um, but that's an area where, where certainly they got a lot better as the season wore on with, with Middleton coming into the frame. And um, so hopefully that's something, at least this year, again, you're not going to make a living unless you're, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, I guess, in terms of winning close games, maybe. Sure. But uh, but certainly at least you don't want to hurt yourself actively. And that's certainly what the Bucks did a lot last year. So, um, you know, certainly they're still a young team. I mean, Jason Terry artificially inflates the uh, the average age. But um, I think before they signed him, you know, they're still one of the youngest teams in the league. Uh, average age is over 24. So, um, again, probably more experienced than than that might suggest. But, um, you know, they're, they're again, going to need to grow up pretty fast here because uh, there is, you know, actually some expectations now. And to be honest, that's that's one area where uh, that's been a weakness of the Milwaukee Bucks yes. for a long time. When, when they have expectations, huge disappointment. I would say other weaknesses as well are ability to attack the basket uh, other than Giannis, especially off of switches, just guys who can get to the rim and finish, draw the defense, drive and kick. Not really. They don't really have a secondary guy other than Giannis. And even he is not someone who's just going to blow by someone one-on-one in pick and roll. You'll see him get switched a lot. Their ability to beat switches is not that great. I think that's a problem for this team potentially as well. Uh, All right, let's get it, man. Uh, I will go first in terms of predictions, although actually since we emailed before, let's already know what yours is. But uh, (laughs) nonetheless, uh, my prediction is 44 wins for this group, a conservative four-win improvement over their Although I guess it depends who you ask about what their expected record was last year. Basketball Reference had them with a negative net rating. NBA.com has it slightly positive. They calculate things slightly differently. But basically, if we consider them a 500 team last year, a three-win improvement, I think, is reasonable for these guys. Their over-under of 47.5 always seemed way too high to me. I didn't really see how this team is supposed to be eight wins better or seven wins better than they were a year ago in terms of their fundamentals. Other than they, I mean, I know they have all these young guys, but I just don't foresee that much improvement from so many of them. Yeah, and I had them at 45 wins. I think I said on our podcast, like 45, 46 wins, something like that. Um, and, and again, I mean, we can talk about kind of the best case, worst case. I think they certainly have upside to do more if things really feel yeah. right, especially defensively. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think the big thing here is, you know, if effectively you're swapping in, uh, hopefully, knock on wood, a healthy Chris Middleton um, and getting him for a full season, which obviously he didn't have a year ago. Yeah. And, and he's uh, better than Jabari at this point. You'd rather yeah. have him, a healthy him for a full season than a healthy Jabari. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. So, so swapping in Middleton, you know, again, can Giannis continue to improve once again? And then, you know, I think the mixture of, of young guys there, I mean, I think you're probably going to see more progression than regression overall, even if there's nobody in there that maybe makes a huge leap. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're going to be better. And, and again, I mean, I, I think this is a kind of a make or break year uh, to somewhat to some extent for Jason Kidd. You know, he told uh, my co-host Eric the other day when when he was interviewing him, he said, you know, 50 wins. They were talking about 50 wins being a realistic goal and going to the second round of the playoffs. And so. Um, you know, Jason Kidd maybe should be managing expectations if he's just being purely selfish, trying uh-huh. to uh, look out for his livelihood. But 
Um, I'm glad he's not because I think certainly um, this is a team that I think talent wise can at least have that as a goal. Um, those two marks and um, we'll see, you know, again, I think uh, this is a big year for Jason Kidd. He's been around here quite a while. And, um, you know, as we said a, a number of times now, this is a team that, uh, you know, there's familiarity with the system, familiarity, familiarity with the personnel. Um, this is a team that that should get better given their age and the fact that this is basically the same roster we saw a year ago. Yeah. If they were just played a more conservative defensive style where they just switch more, they use all these athletes to just barricade the rim, force opponents to take bad shots. Don't give them an opening by trapping and then you just play it conservatively you've got all these athletes force them to shoot jumpers over the top of you that would help their defensive rebounding a lot as well if they weren't scrambling around so much to, so they could actually like turn around and box out their guy instead of like having to sprint back to the glass with you know someone who rolled to the basket after a trap even if he doesn't get the ball he's right there with no one to box him out for the defense or for the offensive board i i would like their chances a lot more i'm just not sure that they can get they can get it but i just don't know that they will get that much better defensively uh i would say their best case though i mean maybe that does happen and then Giannis just taking that much more of a leap they get more from middleton brogdon is able to build on last year i mean if you if all their young guys just improve over last year at the expected amount based on their ages you know i think they do hit that over uh it's just a question of someone like brogdon or even thon who didn't play that much but he's gonna play a lot this year is he really gonna be ready for that uh snell another guy like are all these guys who took these big leaps last year can they build on that based on their ages or are they gonna regress a little bit just because guys who take big leaps forward there is a little bit of that pull yeah, I mean, my my best case, I said, you know, 51 wins, something on the order. I mean, you think they can they can hit 50? I think they can, right? Um, I think there's enough talent there, especially, you know, in the East. You know, again, there, there's not going to be as much competition. They still have to play the teams in the West, but um, but I think again, this is a team that that if things hit right, um, the tools are there to be, you know, again, a top 10 defense, better than top 10. Um, and so I think that's possible. You know, I mean, we have seen aggressive defenses, like especially in Atlanta that have worked. Um, do I trust coach Bud over coach kid to, to coach a team to, to that level? Yes. But, um, but again, we'll see, right. I mean, it, yeah. we're only a few years removed from, from kid, uh, you know, overseeing, uh, the second ranked defense in the NBA, the league has changed a lot since then, you know, the three point rates have yeah. gone up a lot and, in that short span. And, and that was a little bit of a mirage too, just, I think in terms of, uh, getting unsustainably lucky on a lot of missed shots by the other team that season but uh i mean i think this is stale in my head right now but i think kevin pelton was telling me that if you looked at actually it might have been someone who worked for a team that said if you actually looked at the shot quality that they allowed that year they were like 10th in the league and like uh the shot quality they just got lucky that other teams were missing um yeah yeah and and i remember looking at the they played the bulls in the first round of the playoffs that year and it was funny because they you know you you thought you always obviously think of thibodeau as having these great defenses and and the bucks had you know a really high ranked defense and it was remarkable looking at the opponent shot charts because it was basically the you know basically polar opposites right and so it's amazing that the bucks giving up as many threes as they did as many corner threes as they did um that and and not forcing any mid-range jumpers basically that they were able to be as good as they were that year and um, you know, again, you're kind of fighting math uh, it, to some extent with with the way that they they play defensively. And that obviously is a concern, especially, you know, I, I think overall, I don't think we've seen as many turnovers in the league the last couple of years. I think that's gone down with all the perimeter shooting, yeah. I want to say. Yeah. And um, just shooting and, faster, too. I mean, in a given possession, yeah. if you shoot it, the, the earlier you shoot in the possession, the less chance you have to turn it over. Right. And a big thing, I mean, what the Bucks try to do is they try to basically make the guy at the point of the attack 
have to do something different, right? I mean, they don't allow many pick and roll plays because they basically force you to do something else. And the problem is teams now want to do that. <laughs> teams now want to move the ball and work it around the perimeter and, and find those open threes. And, you know, maybe a few years ago that that was, you know, less of a thing that that teams wanted to do. But um, but yeah, so I mean, I think the, the best case, you know, yeah, I think there's a path to 50 wins if things break right. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll go into my worst case because I think we're kind of heading that direction anyway. Um, you know, I think certainly if, if things don't break right, and again, I'm not assuming a, a Giannis or Chris sort of season-ending injury because yeah. obviously kind of all bets. Uh, although if Giannis, if Giannis misses 10 games, hard to imagine many teams they would be a favorite against if he's out. That's true. I mean, they could go one and nine, right, in, in that span. Um, so I, I said like high 30s, you know, maybe 37 wins, something like yeah. that. Um, again, you know, you, you never know. I mean, you know, you never know how much the bottom can fall out of the team, obviously, if things really break wrong. But, um, you know, certainly is there a scenario where Jason Kidd once again presides over a bottom 10 defense? Absolutely, right? That's, that, that, that is not a, a a very you know far-fetched idea as much as i've talked about why they should have much higher standards um and and again you know kid and and his sort of you know ability to kind of uh keep this team going in the right direction you know we saw it last year kind of teetering on the brink of disaster um certainly that's that's possible um i don't know if it, it will happen but um certainly there's some scenarios where that could happen and and again you know as you said laid out some of the candidates for for regression certainly if, if those break the wrong way and the young guys don't improve um then then it could be a very disappointing year in Milwaukee although it it seems like even in that scenario they might make the playoffs just with how bad the East is this year so um, so we'll certainly see how it plays out yeah I would be very surprised if they don't make the playoffs and I agree with you both in that best case and worst case I actually I had 52 wins as potentially their best case all right man well this was awesome thank you so much for coming on you can check out Frank's buck stuff at Locked On Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. A lot of great guests coming from that. And uh, we really appreciate it, Frank. We're looking forward to uh, catching up with you again uh, throughout the season. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.